When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. First, boil the head, then split it, remove the brains and stick it back on the heat to simmer until tender. Strip the meat from the skull, press it into a square mould and pop it in the fridge. When you're ready to eat, slice the meat and heat the juice it was boiled in. Drizzle that over the top. Voila, calf's head vinaigrette. When we got there, Emmerich settled down to his usual order, which was a calf's, uh, calf's head vinaigrette, uh, before he ordered his lunch. <laughs> Tough fellow, <laughs> Welcome back to the BFI Podcast, I'm Henry Barnes. I kicked off with a cookery class because calf's head vinaigrette was a favourite dish of one of the subjects of this episode. In fact, Emmerich Pressburger was eating it when he met with Michael Powell to discuss the film we're going to talk about, A Matter of Life and Death. It all started with the Ministry of Information. They were often very much maligned uh, about what they did in the war. Uh, we found them wonderful to work with. That's Michael Powell, speaking at the then National Film Theatre, now the BFI South Bank in 1986. We'd go to them with an idea, they would approve it or not approve it, then we'd work on it a bit, and finally they would give their consent and they would help us to make it. And, but this one came from the Ministry itself. The Jack Beddington, who was running that, he rang up and said, we, I want you to make a film to show the Americans that we love them. He was proposing that a film be made to promote Anglo-American relations, to counter this opinion of American servicemen as overpaid and oversexed and over here. This is Dr Holly Price. She's a teaching fellow at King's College London and a contributor to MOI Digital. I'm on a project that's looking to re-evaluate the work of the Ministry of Information in wartime. And my role is to research the, the films division and how it developed over the course of the war. According to Powell, Beddington said, when Europe falls apart, there is going to be a most awful lot of bickering and skullduggery. So he really wanted to address this international situation and he wanted them to make a big film, as he called it. He wanted an epic. I said, well, don't we love the Americans? Don't, we? <laughs> don't they love us? We're winning the war together, aren't we? He said, that's just it. When we were losing the war, everybody loved everybody. But now that we're winning the war, spheres of influence are now and business coming into it. We're not as friends as we were, and we're all worried about it. 
So Emmerich, with his mouth full, said, You mean a rock story? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> but Jack was a bit stopped. He said, well, what do, do, do I? Well, I suppose I do. And Emmerich said, Well, think about it, Jack. Now let's order the lunch. <laughs> Received your message. We can hear you. Are you wounded? Repeat, are you wounded? Are you bailing out? What's your name? June. Yes, June, I'm bailing out. I'm bailing out, but there's a catch. I've got no parachute. A Matter of Life and Death is the story of a World War II airman, Peter Carter, whose bomber is shot down during a raid. With the plane going down in flames and no parachute to save him, Peter manages to contact June, an American air operator on the ground in England. June, are you pretty? Not bad. Can you hear me as well as I hear you? Yes. You've got a good voice. You've got guts, too. It's funny, I've known dozens of girls. I've been in love with some of them, but the American girl whom I've never seen and who I never shall see will hear my last words. That's funny. It's rather sweet. Peter drops and should be dead, but he survives, upsetting not just the order of probability, but the bureaucrats in the afterlife. They send a messenger to retrieve Peter, but they're too late. Peter's met June and they have fallen in love. This, argues Peter, could never have happened if the officials in the other place had done their job properly. It's only fair that the higher-ups should give him a chance to argue his case for remaining on Earth. Great news, darling. What, sweet? I'm to be allowed to appeal. Really? Oh, June, I don't want to leave you. Darling, why should you leave me? Everything will be all right. Well, if I can get a good counsel. Of course you will. It's very important. I, I don't want to lose you. Darling, I don't intend to let you go. No one can take you from me. I won't let them. It's no good. You see, a judgment against me would be backed up by all the power of this world and of the other. It was at a time when the world order had changed. We'd basically been rescued by America, and it was a film that almost doffed its cap to America in, in that way. That's author and journalist Sam Brooks, speaking from his cockpit high above the channel. Just kidding, he's on a slightly crunchy phone line. Very subtly, I think, it's a film about how we come back changed. And we're kind of almost caught between life and death. And the servicemen coming back, they have to come back through the English fog and they find their way back into England. Um, and yet, they're not the same people who, who went away. Uh, and the, the character of Des Niven, of course, is, is literally caught between life and death. And there's a celestial trial to see whether he can stay in this world or he has to depart. And I think that probably spoke to a lot of men who were coming back to their wives, who were coming back to their families, but they were thinking, is this the same place though? Life, death, myth, science, America and Britain. Powell and Pressburger's film is a strange brew. Politically opportune, what better way to bind World War II allies than to have their fictional representatives fall in love, and wildly romantic, magical and matter-of-fact. It's a war film, but it's not normal propaganda. The MOI had two ways of dealing with the film industry by about 1942. Holly Price. They could either offer feature filmmakers practical support, so by securing petrol rations or helping with location shooting or um, releasing personnel from the army, like film stars, like technicians, or... Uh, actually, they were giving the film industry ideas. The ministry had an ideas committee that was set up in 1941. It was fairly an informal setup. The ideas committee was made up of ministry personnel from the films division 
and feature filmmakers. So they would meet up at Senate House and Paul Roth, the documentarist, describes how informal they were. They were just having beers and eating lousy sandwiches, as he puts it, like every fortnight and just discussing the kinds of films that could be made. Um, and yeah, I've actually come across some documents that talk about how these meetings were held at night at Senate House, which is a great image. Actually, all the greatest filmmakers in British wartime history actually meeting up at Senate House and discussing ideas for film pro propaganda at night. There's often a to and throw between the feature film industry and the, the MOI. And the way that they could offer practical support, they could also hold it over the heads of filmmakers and say, we don't approve of this project, therefore we're not going to release some star, some personnel. So the famous case of that was the life and death of Colonel Blimp. There won't be any methods but Nazi methods. If you preach the rules of the game, while they use every foul and filthy trick against you, they'll laugh at you. The War Office were against the life of death and Colonel Blimp because of its representation of the army as just kind of made up of these blimp-like, muddle-headed figures that they didn't want to release it, and they certainly didn't want Laurence Olivier to be the main part in it, which was the plan. It wasn't always a completely easy relationship between the feature film industry and the MRI at all. Paul and Pressburger's films, cheerfully absurd at times, painted a picture of England turned wonky by war. The British sense of fair play seeps through their work, but there's always off elements, darker seams of British identity that the war has laid bare. There was always this creeping weirdness in their films. Um, there was a sense that, that they were very romantic, and, and Powell was this very sort of traditional, stiff upper Englishman in a lot of ways. And yet there was a kind of weirdness to him, too. That's Sam Brooks. Uh, and they were always trying to smuggle these. these strange elements, uh, sometimes even distasteful elements in, into their films. I think some of those is uh, A Canterbury Tale, which is like A Matter of Life and Death, another wartime film, and it's about uh, people preparing to go to war as opposed to coming back to the war. And it was a celebration of England, and it was, it was supposed to be this sort of rousing salute to the British spirit and the British fighting man and the American fighting man too. And yet, they, they couldn't resist putting the character of the glue man in. And the glue man is this flawed hero, uh, the, the magistrate of the village, who goes around pouring glue into the hair of the girls who date the, the servicemen. So you have this sexual, psychosexual undercurrent running through this otherwise very, very wholesome film. And it's, it's a big ask for people to embrace the, the film in its entirety where you've got this It's not that surprising that Powell and Pressburger's films carry a subversive sensibility. Powell's heroes, Chaplin, Hitchcock, D.W. Griffith, weren't known for towing the line of their craft. In 1971, Powell visited the BFI to present a lecture on his love of the cinema. I always remember the Gold Rush because it was the first performance of a film that I ever saw where a scene in it stopped the show. This was at... Uh, uh, the Theatre of the Vieux Colombier, and I think it was in 1925 when the Gold Rush was quite new, 
Uh, none of us knew what was coming when Charlie did the famous dance of the role. That's Powell talking about Chaplin. We called it the dance of Petitpin, where as she hasn't come for the party that night, he's waiting and waiting and waiting, and so he, he sticks two forks in two rolls and does a perfect little ballet with them. And the camera moves in on these rolls, and in the end, after doing... Oh, wonderful uh, entrechat, all the rest, ends up with the most wonderful splits. And uh, the applause was simply tremendous at the end of this uh, tour de force. And since it was Paris and people uh, in the Vieux Colombier cared about films, they all started to stand up and turn towards the projection box and start clapping towards the projection box and holding their hands up like this. And uh, when the film went on, they, they turned their backs on the screen and picked up their chairs, and uh, we used to have uh, collapsible chairs in art theatres then, and held them up in front of the beam like this to stop the, stop the film. And finally, uh, the manager came on and said, all right, all right, we'll run it again. Charlie always had this direct contact with his audience. Well, you, you've just seen it. He's got a heart as big as the world. And uh, his image, as you see, flat, jerky, black and white, contrasty, it moves audiences to tears and laughter, just as he wishes and when he wishes. Uh, Stravinsky once said to me, you know, I can say something's complete with all the organs, blood, brain, heart and legs in 47 seconds. Well, so can Charlie. I think he's the greatest image maker that our art has ever had. There's no other filmmaking team quite like Michael Powell and Emery Pressburger, and there really aren't many films like A Matter of Life and Death. It's an odd prospect, beloved by many and a key influence on many more. Watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and A Matter of Life and Death as a double bill. The parallels are, well, excellent. Okay, so God, congratulations on Earth. It's a most excellent planet, and Bill and I enjoy it on a daily basis. Yeah, not to mention your other great planets. Mars, Jupiter, Uranus. A Matter of Life and Death will be back on theatrical release in the UK in December. Please catch it if you can. Thanks for listening to the BFI podcast. Special thanks this episode to Holly Price and Zan Brooks. Check out Holly's work at MOI Digital at www.moidigital.ac.uk. Go buy Zan Brooks's debut novel published by Salt Publishing with the radio-unfriendly title The Clocks in This House All Tell Different Times. It's an excellent read, and if you like Pal and Pressburger, you'll love Zan's work. Peter Sale is our producer through Thick and Thin. Find out more about Peter at petersale.co.uk. Sarah Current at the BFI Library and Peter Stanley in our tech department are the team who dig out the superb archive audio each episode without fail. Let's give Michael Powell the last word. I said somewhere, I, I am the cinema. Now this sounds a bit arrogant. Uh, it isn't meant to be. I've grown up with the cinema, in and with motion pictures. And I believe that this is the finest way of telling a story ever known. And when I've failed, I know it's because I've been false to the medium. 
It was never the fault of the medium itself. I believe that the last 50 years, which is my span, we've only scratched the surface of the possibilities of films. And in the next 50 years, I expect you and you and you to do a damn sight better. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.